Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Welcome, everybody. Uh, as Mandy said, my name's Stephen. I'm the lead pastor of City on a Hill Church in Forest Hills. You're not, if you don't know where Forest Hills is, that's okay. Just think of the orange line. We're at the other end of the orange line, So, uh, which some of you probably never ride being on the green line. Uh, it is no longer on fire. We have new orange line trains. Um, they do have this really terrible beep every time the door opens, but other than that, we're doing okay. Uh, so the carpet is no longer from 1961. So we are we're moving up over in Jamaica Plain. So glad to be here this morning. Uh, if I've not met you, a little bit about me, I've been married to my wife, Amy, for almost 18 years. Uh, we have four daughters, one is 16, 14, 13, and 10. And so I, I'm, I'm a girl dad, teenage girl dad, so love every bit of that. been pastoring our church for two and a half years, and we're excited to be in partnership with the City on the Hill Network so we can support each other. I, I was talking to Aaron, and Aaron was like super excited for the summer. He's like, yeah, we're going to do this with Jen Sin. We're doing all these different things. And then, uh, and then he, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then he called me like four minutes later and said, hey, I got to be on a grand jury for three months. And I was like, that sounds awesome on one hand, but also terrible on another. And so I just think of law and order every time I think of Aaron. And, um, but, uh, but this actually creates a unique opportunity in some ways. One is it does give you an opportunity to hear from others, hear from others in our network and from around our city. And to see that City in a Hill Brighton is a part of something larger than just what God's doing here in Brighton. You're a part of the City in a Hill network serving other neighborhoods, but also part of other networks around our city that this is not the only church in Boston and we can encourage each other and serve each other. So it's a unique opportunity in that way, but it's also a unique opportunity for you as a church uh, that you can actually step into that void in some ways and ask, how can I take one step in to serve the church? I mean, because as much as Aaron and Emily and Kyle and everyone here does, they can't do it by themselves. So every time you serve and you step in and you do something, you're actually relieving some of that so that they can focus on the ministry that God's called them to, which is to lead and equip the church. And so just some great opportunity for you there um, uh, uh, in the next couple of months. Now, I am a, a really big um, comic book fan. I love comic books. Um, I've been a comic book fan since I was a little kid. There was this comics... Uh, show in, in the 90s was the X-Men, but it was actually the, uh, like the, the early 90s X-Men, so it was real campy with the music. There was Wolverine, and he had like the yellow and blue spandex on, and, and he had the mutton chops, and I just keep threatening my wife. I'm going to cut my hair into some mutton chops on my face, and, and I loved that as a kid. And so I started collecting comic books and getting action figures and got into like the DC stuff. And then all of a sudden, when the MCU came out, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I was really excited, and it's opened this whole new world of comic books up to everybody. And as is, this has happened, it's just gotten a little overwhelming, right? Like you watch, I and mean, the movies were great. It's like, okay, we got like Iron Man, and we've got Captain America, and we've got Thor, and we've got the Incredible Hulk, and now we've got like Garbage Can Man, and like we've got all these different people that I just don't even know who they are. And everybody gets their own series, and everybody gets a special, and everybody gets a backstory. Um, but I did get kind of caught up in one of these, and it was WandaVision. So I don't know if you've seen this. It's Wanda Maximoff and her husband, Vision. They, you know, and so Wanda Maximoff, who's also known as the Scarlet Witch, can bend reality. She can change reality so that everyone experiences what she wants them to experience. So the show drops her in the middle of a 50s sitcom. If you ever watched any sort of 50s sitcom, 
Dick Van Dyke or the Cleavers. It looks just like that. It's black and white. And all of a sudden, her husband, who's dead, steps into the scene. And she's getting this happy ending forever. And then you see the show kind of fast forward into the 60s. And it's a new family. And and it's her and Vision. And they now have twin boys. And she's getting the family that she's always wanted. And then you start watching the story progress. And there's these time jumps into the 80s and these 80s, 80s sitcom families. And then into the 2000s. And you kind of get like a modern family vibe. Um, it's really interesting to watch. And what you begin to realize is she's not living in reality. This is her way to deal with the grief and the loss and the trauma that comes with family for her. She lost her family at a young age. She lost her husband and the idea of a future together. And this is her way of dealing with the brokenness and the trauma of her family and how that shaped her. And so Genesis 26 is actually where we begin to see how Isaac was shaped by his family. Isaac's family was shaped, and not just Isaac, but Rebecca, his wife, his kids, his grandkids were all shaped by Abraham's family. All of us, you and I, have been shaped by our family in positive ways, in negative ways, in ways that you can see, in ways that you can't see. You have been shaped by your family. Uh, I walk around oftentimes, I didn't realize why I did this, but I, I, I'm not lazy, but I just pick things up with my toes. I got big feet. I'll pick up coins or cords or like, you know, couch cushions, whatever, with my feet. And you're, I know you're imagining this right now. Some of you are probably like, feet are gross, don't do that. But I would do that. And then several years ago, I saw my dad do the exact same thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got this from my dad. I didn't even realize it. I tell some of the same jokes and have the same sense of humor and the same temperament as my dad. And oftentimes the way that our family shapes us comes out when we react to something because that's the normal that we've been given. We've been shaped by our family. And so even when I say the word family, for many of you right now, you are probably experiencing some sort of emotion. For some of you, it's, it's hurt or pain. Word family is not a safe word for you. You've experienced real trauma and pain in your family. Some of you, it's appreciation. You had a great mom, a great dad, great siblings, a great upbringing. Some of you, it's longing. You long for the family you've never had or one day would like to have a family of your own. Some of you, it's hopefulness. You're just hopeful in the gospel that God can make anything new, but probably it's a mixture of all of that. Every family is a mixture of blessing and brokenness. And like Isaac's family, you are shaped by the blessing and the brokenness of your family, but you are not defined by your family of origin. The gospel gives you a new story. So today we're going to explore a couple of ideas. First of all, how we've been shaped by the blessing of our family. Secondly, how you've been shaped by the brokenness of our family. And then we're going to come back on the back end and show how the gospel gives us a new family. So firstly, you are shaped by the blessing of family. Now, last week, as we were looking at Genesis chapter 25, we began to see Abraham kind of fading from the scene. Abraham passes away and he's handing off the mantle to his son, Isaac. And Isaac is now going to be the one who carries the blessing of God into the future, which will one day lead to the Messiah coming. And he makes sure in Genesis chapter 25 that Isaac is the only one who would receive that inheritance. We see that he sent uh, Keturah and her kids out of the promised land. We see uh, Hagar's son Ishmael, which came through an adulterous relationship. He's pushed out of the promised land so that all people could be blessed through Isaac. And so we see this happening and we see it fast forward to Esau and Jacob and their story and that whole mess. And that's where to get more of that mess later. Um, and then we jump back into chapter 26 and it's, it's almost as if that's in the middle of this. Chapter 26 is sort of a flashback in the story happening sometime between the funeral of Abraham and, and, and this birth. And so this is what's going on in this chapter. 
And we see the same scenario that happens in Isaac's life as did in Abraham's. Verse 1, now there was a famine in the land because the former famine, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now, if you've been with us for a little while, Genesis chapter 12 described almost the exact same scenario. Uh, Abraham has been called by God. There's a famine in the land, which seems to threaten that blessing. And Abraham gets scared, runs down to Egypt, makes a terrible decision, compromises his wife. And here we see Isaac being faced with the same situation. So the same stakes, the same struggles, but a different reaction. It says, uh, the Lord says to him, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land which I tell you. Isaac had gone in the verse before to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. That's probably a different Abimelech than we would see in Genesis chapter 20. Abimelech is probably like a title, like Caesar or king or president. And so we see God warning Isaac, don't make the same mistake as your father. And that's one way we do see the blessing of family. An unseen blessing of family is that you can learn from their mistakes. You see your mom or your dad make a mistake and you're like, I'm not gonna repeat that mistake. And so Abraham's story is a little bit different than Isaac's, but there's also the same statement made. Verse three, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands. So in one way, it's the same statement he's made to Abraham. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make a people out of you. I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you possessions. You're going to be my people who blesses all people. But he expands it a bit when he says, all these lands. So he's saying, you're gonna realize this more of the promise even than Abraham realizes. You're gonna experience this. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven um, and will give to your offspring all these lands in your offspring to all the nations of the earth be blessed. Family is a way that God shows grace to us. And whether you are a Christian or not, the institution of family is God-given. The institution of a family God has given us as a means for us to learn how to be human. The family is a way that you're safe. You know, you're not like a sea turtle that as soon as you're born, you're like kicked out of the house. Like that's, it doesn't work that way. You're a little baby. You know, your parents feed you and they nurture you and they care for you. They teach you. If you didn't know that about sea turtles, they're terrible parents. Um, we learn to love in the midst of a family. We learn to forgive. We learn to share with each other. So the family becomes a training ground for how to be in the world. Tony Evans says that God established the family as the foundation of civilization. Our family brings structure and safety to the world. If you just look at it from a logistical standpoint, families who stay together, it's better financially, it's better emotionally, it's better as far as test scores and, and, and future prediction of success, it tends to be a picture of blessing. The family's meant to be a safe place until you're out on your own. It's meant to be a harbor that you could return to. For, for those of you who are in college and you're eating like ramen noodles and, and cans of beans, you're like, man, I cannot wait to get home to eat some food at mom and dad's house, right? So I mean, you're like, amen. Um, it becomes a place that you can return to. It's meant to be a blessing across generations. And this is why it hurts so much when family trauma threatens that. When your family's not safe, when you don't feel like you have a place to return, when you feel like something is just missing, so family is meant to be a means of blessing. And so why is Isaac so blessed? We do see it comes through his family. Verse five, he's blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac was blessed because of the faith of Abraham. Isaac was blessed because of the obedience of Abraham as a father. And we see in verses 12 through 14 that Isaac reaps some of this because of his relationship with God that only came through Abraham. 
Verse 12, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year as a, a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. This heritage had been passed down to him and he's the recipient of it simply by being a part of this family. And I'd say for you, the reason that you're in the school that you're in, the reason that you may be in the career that you're pursuing, the reason that maybe you have the level of emotional health that you do is probably the result of your family's investment in you on some level. Maybe you had very supportive parents who created a place in your home where you could express your emotions freely. Maybe you came from a family that supported you financially, whatever it might be. Maybe just supported your dreams. Those are ways that your family blesses you. And even if not directly, you can still be blessed by what your family doesn't do. I was listening to a podcast a while back and this woman was, is a chef and the host asked her, man, your mom and dad must have cooked with you all the time. And she said, oh, absolutely. Actually, no, my mom's a terrible cook. My dad doesn't even know what a kitchen is. And she's like, well, how did you learn to cook? And, and the woman said, because of what they didn't teach me. They just gave me the freedom to explore the kitchen and try things out. Sometimes we learn that way too. I would say that if you are a follower of Jesus, you, there's a good likelihood that your family passed down a legacy of faith to you. My mom, my, I come from a single parent home. My mom worked two jobs and she was faithful to get us to church every single week. And like, I tried every week to get out of it. I was sick every Sunday morning. Uh, I, I was, I mean, I seriously was trying to be sick. Like, I, there's an old movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off, way, way long, if you've seen it. Go back and watch it, it's a good movie. He takes the, uh, the thermometer and puts it up next to the light bulb. And like, that doesn't work when it's like 112 and your mom's like, okay, I know you faked that. that. I was doing that to get out of going to church. My mom, every single week would take us and make us go. She would read the Bible with us. She would tell us about Jesus over and over and over again until the day that I actually believed. If you were a follower of Jesus, your parents probably took you to church. They were faithful. They poured into you. Now, that's not the only way you come into God's family, but it's a good predictor for coming to God's family. Some of you grew up in a loving, consistent, supportive home, and your life is evidence of it. And it's easy to take that for granted, but that sets you up for success relationally. It sets you up for success for work or how to cope with the struggles of life. Your family teaches you how to be a good neighbor. It teaches you whether you're going to be selfish or seek self-denial, whether you're going to seek security and comfort or you're going to seek the kingdom of God. And no matter your family, whether you came up in a good family or a hard family, every family has some level of blessing. I want you to think of that. Maybe even if you got a pen on you or type this in your phone, what are two to three ways that your family was a blessing to you? It could be emotionally, it could be spiritually, it could be financially, it could be whatever it is. I want you to write those things down and remember those. And here's what I want you to do with this. One, be grateful. But secondly, how could you begin to share those with other people? Just like Isaac was to create a family, it was a blessing to all people. We're to use the blessings that God has given us in our family for the sake of others. So maybe you did grow up in that emotionally healthy house. How could you be supportive to the person who didn't? Maybe you grew up in a family of faith where you went to church every Sunday. How could you be uh, a light to someone in, our, in your own congregation who doesn't even know Jesus yet or is just learning to follow Jesus? So we use that blessing to bless others. So we've been shaped by the blessing of family, but I would imagine that you probably feel like you've been more profoundly shaped by the brokenness of your family. You are shaped by the brokenness of family. Now, for all of Abraham's good, Abraham, he was lifted up in the Bible as this, this hallmark of faith. We look at Hebrews chapter 11. 
He is, you should have faith like Abraham. He did a lot of great things. He was flawed. He was a, he was a flawed dad. He was a flawed husband. He was a flawed man. And I don't care how good your parents are, no parent's perfect. You could have had a great mom and a great dad. They're not perfect. They made mistakes. Now, some parents are better than others, but some of the words and the actions and the things your parents did or said, you probably still remember, right? I remember positive things my parents said. I remember negative things. My dad, I still remember his emphasis on money and work. It was always about making more money. I came from a family of like fourth generation Italian, and I was the first person in my, in my family to go to college. He made a huge deal of it. I made a huge deal about financial security, and I still hear and live out those messages today. My kids, being the dad of four, I, I try to be a good dad. I'm going to mess up. People ask all the time, they're like, hey, could you, what did you guys do like a parenting conference? I'm like, no. All my kids would be like 50, so see if they're like a finished product or not. Like, I've got, a, I got plenty of time to screw this up. My kids are going to need to talk to friends. In 20 years, they're going to be sitting in somebody's living room saying, man, my dad said this, and I've carried that message with, with me for 20 years. They're be sitting there talking to a counselor, which is a good thing, and they're going to be unpacking some of that family mess. I'm way more sympathetic of my parents now because I'm realizing, man, they were winging it too. Um, if you are a parent, you know this. And if you one day are going to be a parent, you'll, you'll see it. Family's a mess. It's broken. And we see this shaping us in two ways. And it's how we repeat our family dysfunction. Firstly, we repeat our family dysfunction. Isaac was an absolute hot mess. His family is a hot mess. His dad, Abraham, committed adultery his wife, Sarah, said, hey, take my servant, have a child with her. And of course, you know, that causes problems. Like, how could that not cause problems? And they have all sorts of things that come from this affair. And you see the strife that occurs between Abraham and Sarah. And I don't want to read too much into the text, but I imagine this would have happened for years. And can you imagine even later on in Isaac's life, him feeling the tension between Abraham and Sarah? I don't know if you grew up in a home where your parents were always fighting with each other. You feel it. We see tension with his half-brother Ishmael, who was the product of that affair. They eventually, their descendants end up becoming enemies, and they're able to, apparently in chapter 25, bury the hatchet long enough to bury their father. We see that Isaac comes from a mixed family because Abraham remarries again, this woman Keturah, they have children. And we also see how his dad played favorites, which ends up happening in Isaac's life too. He's shaped by his father's actions and he repeats some of those actions. And at the, toward the end of chapter 28 or 25, verse 28, we see that Abraham, or sorry, Isaac favored Esau, not because he was a godly son, not because he was a good person, not because he was kind, but because of what he could do for him. He was proud of him because of his achievements. And their failure to disciple and love their son for the right reasons leads to some pain at the end of chapter 26 as Esau marries two women, problem, Hittite women, another problem because they're outside the covenant and ends up causing pain for his parents for years to come. Your family dysfunction has a way of creeping up and repeating itself. If you come from a family where one of your parents or both of your parents are alcoholics, it often runs in families. If you come from a family where Everyone's just angry all the time. You probably feel that anger. You've been neglected. If, if you grow up with family members who are detached emotionally, it can cause you either to do the same or end up being codependent. We, we repeat these things and you can become the very things you hate. 
The things you hate about your family, you can actually become those things. I'm never gonna be that way. I'm never gonna repeat that. And what can even happen if, if you put so much emphasis on that is you can actually be countershaped. Instead of becoming the thing you hate the most, you can be so afraid of it that you become something entirely different. I'll give you an example from my own life. My, both my father and my grandfather on my dad's side committed adultery and left their wives. My dad learned that from my grandfather. And I was so terrified for years of repeating the exact same sin and committing adultery against my wife and leaving my family that I was incapable of being vulnerable or close to anyone. It can counter shape us in a way that we're so afraid. And this is the second thing we see. The second way we repeat this is through our failures and our fears. We see in verse six that Isaac settles in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Now, if you've been with us a while, you notice that's happened for the third time, right? That same story. He's repeating his father's sin. Repeats the same scheme. She's beautiful, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. She's beautiful. I, I, I can't let them kill me. I got to take this into my own hands. He's driven by fear. And we see that this fear is unfounded. It says in verse seven, my wife thinking less than men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because uh, she was attractive in appearance. Verse eight, when he had been there a long time, what's that tell you? No, there was no threat. He'd been there a long time. And all of a sudden, Abimelech sees him laughing with his wife. Now, laughing is not like, oh, you told a funny joke. I sent you that Instagram reel and we both laughed about it. It's like flirting, not the way that you would treat your sister. And he sees this scheme and he's thinking, okay, well, I, I, he probably heard the stories and even though it hurt his mom, he like, he's, he's like, well, you know, it worked out for dad. What he ends up doing is creating more problems because he lived out of fear. When we live by fear, we make it worse and we see that it ends up hurting other people because Abimelech says, to Isaac, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech says, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Our family brokenness shapes us and can cause us to hurt other people. So everyone has been shaped by the blessing of family and by the brokenness of family. And what both of these do is they give you a default. Your family gives you a default way of interacting with others and with the world and with God himself. And you bring that default into your family. It changes the way that you relate to other people. If trust was broken in your family, whether that's through abandonment or just neglect or someone made promises that they never came through on, you're gonna to tend to be suspicious, you're gonna be untrusting, might be accusing, could be distant. But the same way, if you grew up in an affectionate family, you're probably gonna be very open and warm and vulnerable. What, what is your default way of relating to other people based on how your family shaped you? There's a saying that hurt people hurt people. And what hurt can lead us to do is to use other people for our own emotional needs or our own physical needs. We can be emotionally unavailable. We can repeat the same patterns. I'm, I'm sure that you've had that moment where you say something and you're like, oh my gosh, I sounded just like my mom. Oh my gosh, I sounded just like my dad. What are the unhealthy patterns that you've inherited from your family? How, how are those affecting your relationships? How, how are you, are they affecting the way that you cope and, or even communicate? Maybe you came from a family where everybody is just ready to fight all the time. Everybody's Irish. You just want to fight 
right? Um, or maybe you come from a family, I can say it because I'm part Irish, um, or you come from a family where everybody just avoids problems. You're going to tend to be shaped by that. Your family gives you a default for how you relate to the world, the way that you see money, the way that you see work, the way that you communicate. Maybe you come from a family where your family's just always busy, always working, always stressed. All that's been shaped by your family. How are you repeating those things positively, negatively? But also it affects how you relate to God. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. Do you want to know what my number one hangup was? Calling God Father. I had a terrible relationship with my dad. Calling God Father was the hurdle for me to coming to faith in Christ because I, it was hard for me to see God as a good father. And for you, maybe it's hard for you to see God as safe. Maybe it's hard for you to see God as kind. Maybe it's hard for you to believe that God would love you apart from your performance, but solely because he gave a son for you. Maybe it's hard for you to believe that you were loved perfectly by him. And for those of you who are parents, I know this is a mostly younger congregation, the way that you pursue Christ and prioritize the church teaches your kids. And for those of you that want to be parents one day, take this nugget and store it away or even apply this to your friendships. The way that you pursue Christ and prioritize the church will have a major effect on your children and other people in your life. And look, I tell my kids all the time, we, I get up most mornings with my kids, I make breakfast, we read the Bible together, and I tell them every single morning, I say, look, one day you have to make this your own. I can't believe for you. You have to make this your own. But the truth is, is I'm teaching them both implicitly and explicitly whether this matters or not. Think about the culture in your home. Think about the culture among your roommates. Think about the culture in your community group. Is it a culture of grace or is it a culture of performance? Is it a culture where the things of the church matter so much that it's the non-negotiable or it goes to the side when things aren't convenient? And if you're not a parent, make this a pattern for when you are or if you are. And honestly, just as a follower of Jesus in Boston, one of the most countercultural things you can do is what you're doing right now. You're sitting in church on a Sunday morning. I'm sure there are some great brunch places in Brighton, right? They have an incredible chicken and waffle. Where I don't know. I don't eat over here, but I'm sure there's something over here you could be doing. I'm sure that you could be playing in a sports league right now. I'm sure that you could be doing anything other than this. But what you're doing this morning is you're saying, I'm prioritizing Jesus and his church. And we pass that on to other people. We teach people whether we're going to live by fear or by faith. Isaac found blessing in the driest place possible where his enemies stopped up all the wells. And he found life there. It's hard to sometimes to think of Boston as a place we can thrive or that we can live long term, but this is the very place that God can bless us by his grace. So whether you're part of a good family or a bad family, your family's blessing and brokenness shows you this, that there is a better family that you need. You could have grown up in the best family possible. There's a better family. And you could have grown up in the worst family possible. And there's a perfect family of God that you can be called into where you could experience the perfect love of the Father. A Father who is faithful to his promises, who's never once let us down. To Isaac, he blesses him immensely in verses 12 through 14. We see that God helps him through adversity in chapter, verses 15 through 21, where he's fighting over water rights. We see that God blesses him and is with him in uh, relational conflict in verses 26 through 33. We see how faithful God is, and we also see how faithful he is to forgive our sins. Man, Isaac really screws this up. 
He really messes up. I'm just, I'm discipling a guy right now who's not yet a follower of Jesus. He's coming to our church. His name's Scott. You can pray for him. And he is reading the Bible like crazy. Like after, after uh, Easter, we gave it this little book called Is Easter Unbelievable by Rebecca McLaughlin, which if you're exploring Christianity, I really want to suggest this book to you. Um, and so we gave it out at Easter and he went home and read it until midnight talking with his wife about it. He's been devouring Bible project videos and reading them. He's like reading and he's, he actually read numbers, okay? He read the book of numbers. So he is serious. He is in. And I said, I said, Scott, what is one of your big takeaways? And he said, everybody keeps messing up. I said, that's takeaway number one, right? Everybody keeps messing up. They keep failing, but God is faithful to forgive you. And what this forgiveness allows you to do is it allows you to heal from your past. It allows you to reconcile relationships. It allows you to not have to make the same mistakes that your family made. It allows you to either continue or create a legacy of faith. So the question is, is how do you become a part of this better family? And that's through faith in God's son, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When you call upon Jesus, you enter into a new family. That you're no longer an orphan. And then no matter what your home life was like, you get a new story. Dan Allender says this. He says, take seriously the story that God has given you to live. It's time to read your own life because your story is one that could set us all ablaze. What good news could it be to others if God were to redeem the story of your family? And the place where we learn to do this is through the church. We learn to be a family as the church. I know my, my hope and my desire for City and Hill Forest Hills is that we would exhibit love and grace of the Father as a family. I know that the, the same vision exists here to be the family of God together, an imperfect version of what we will one day experience perfectly. But Jeff Vanderstelt says this. He says, who is God? He is our Father. What has he done? He has loved us by sending his Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Who are we? We are the dearly loved children of God. God's family. If we believe this, what do we do? We love one another as brothers and sisters in the same way God has loved us. Problem is just like you bring your default into your biological family, you bring your default into the church family. And this is an opportunity for us to be gracious and for the church to be a place of healing for our family brokenness. So how can you make City on a Hill be that family? Four ideas as we close. Number one, Commit to love these people. You will not find a group of people who are more for you than this group of people right here. So if you're not yet connected to this body of Christ, take one step closer. You're not yet a member, take another step closer. You'll find that this is a people who will love you and that you can love back and be loved by. Secondly is commit to serve these people. Don't just come and receive, find a way to serve. Whether it's small, whether it's large, as was mentioned, there's some ways to serve this summer. Serve these people. Thirdly, commit to this place. I don't know what, where all of you are at as far as what the future looks like. Some of you are like, I just got to get through like microeconomics. I just got to get through today. Um, but commit to this place. Consider what God might have for you after graduation. Consider what God might have for you after this next year. What would it look like if a group of people said, we're so committed to the city of Boston, we're going to do this together. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to do what it takes 
to, to glory God here in Brighton. And then lastly, commit to invite others into the family. If you've experienced the love of a God who gives his very own son for you, shouldn't we help others experience the same love? Commit to invite others to know Jesus. Let's pray.